Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Let There Be Talk. Today is Tuesday, February 21st. Sorry the uh, episode is a day late, but I uh, had a fucking whirlwind of a weekend and needed some rest. That's just the honest truth. I got up at 5 a.m. on a Friday and flew to Salt Lake City, then drove three and a half hours to Elko, Nevada, where it was about four degrees, did two headlining shows, then uh, ate something or, I don't know, caught some kind of mini bug. Mini bug, that's uh, Mini Bike's brother. Hey, what's up, mini bug? But caught something. It wasn't COVID, but in the middle of the night on Friday night, I just felt like, uh, I don't know if it was food poisoning. I ate at some fucking place called Taco Time, which uh, my good buddy Shaylin recommended. He, he was featuring for me all weekend. Let's go to Taco Time. It's good. <laughs> I, I had a complete weekend of shit food. I do not eat shitty anymore for six, seven years now. I eat completely healthy and clean, and I was just fucking screwed any corner I went on this weekend. I had uh, I stepped in to get breakfast tacos at this place at the airport. They said breakfast just ended. There was nothing on there. I was starving, so I had a, a burger. It was the top three worst burgers I've ever had in my life, and uh, that was horrific. And meanwhile, on and off, this kind of, uh, I don't know, was it stomach flu or food poisoning was just spinning around. So anyway, two shows on Saturday night were both sold out in Elko. Fantastic. Thank you, Elko. Wow. And then I flew home. It didn't feel well. On and off. Took the day off. So here it is. Great episode. Worth the wait. White Reaper stops back by here today. Unbelievable. Uh, my man Sam and Hunter, Sam, the old bass player, Hunter, guitar. I had Tony on last time. I had him on last time a couple days before COVID hit. I went down and interviewed White Reaper at the Troubadour. They had a new record coming out, and a week later, uh, COVID hit, and that was it for all touring bands and comedians. So it was great to have them back. They have a brand new record out right now that is fantastic. And I can't stop listening to it, actually. I really love this album, Asking for a Ride. It's out right now. It's got some, it's got some metal. It's got some metal meets Weezer meets Cheap Trick. It's uh, got all kinds of flavors. I love it. I love the guys. Uh, these guys are just great, great humans. Some of my favorite songs on the record are Funny Farm, Bozo, and the title track, Asking for a Ride. Check it out. We dive into all kinds of stuff, including uh, the Pearl Jam tour that they finally got to do. Great to have them on. They're going to be playing tonight at the Fonda and tomorrow night in San Francisco. Speaking of tomorrow night, I will be in San Francisco for six shows, Wednesday through Saturday, at the San Francisco Punchline. Please tell a friend. If you don't live in the Bay Area, if you do, come on, get off your ass and come out and see me. I've got this hour I'm working on and it feels good 
and I would love to see you guys. I want to fill this club up. It's one of the best clubs in America. So get out there. Get a ticket. Also, I have restocked my merch. The Dean Del Rey Perry Shawl shirt is available on my website, deandelray.com, and the Gertie hoodie and sweatshirt are available. So that is my uh, pitches for you. Pitches, pitches. And um, before we do get into it, Quick little shout out to my sponsor, standardandstrange.com, my one-stop denim shop. I will be going there on Wednesday in Berkeley to go check out what they have new in there. Always crushing stuff in there, denim, boots, leather jackets. Standardandstrange.com, ask for Jeremy or Neil, follow them on Instagram, and uh, go to their stores, New York, New Mexico. Berkeley. Boom. Also, if you have a dog, MigosDog.com. They're running a special deal right now, uh, MigosDog.com. If you sign up for a subscription, delivery, if you live in the LA area, they're giving you a special discount. If you uh, live in California, check out Healthy Spot to get Migos Dog. It is the best dog food on the planet. All natural, human-grade ingredients. Gertie loves it. I'm feeding her the, the uh, duck right now. MigosDog.com and Standard and Strange. They make the podcast happen, people. Thank you so much. Uh, Patreon.com slash Dean Del Rey. Bonus episode will be coming up. And I've been Zoom-festing. I'm back Zoom-festing. If you are a patreon member you can join me weekly uh for a live zoom uh chat shoot the shit with El- other dale razors appreciate all your kind words always it really uh it really helps man i'm just uh i'm just slugging along here and uh i love all you guys subscribe to the podcast leave a review check out the youtube channel dean del Rey. Right now, though, let's get into a little rock talk. It was great to sit down with these guys. And, oh, just a a quick warning here. I had no idea, but I had a fucking bad mic cable. I had to run down the rabbit hole to see what the fuck it was. When you're recording, you never know what's going to go on. So at the top of the show and towards the end, there's some fucking shit sounds like, (coughs) I'm sorry about that. You never know when a, a, a piece of equipment's going to go wrong. And I've been, I've been using this recorder for 11 years, this Zoom recorder, and it has never failed. I thought it might be the recorder finally wearing out, but I shook it down and it was a shit cord. I should have known. Cords always go bad. And by the way, this is no promotion, but I buy all my mic cords at Guitar Center. They have these lifelong mic cords and when they go bad, you just go in and they give you new ones. It's fucking insane. So that's where I'm going tomorrow, Guitar Center, to get some more new cables. So uh, hang in there the first five, six minutes or so, and the back end of the show, there's a little bit of static. But I'm glad I didn't lose this whole interview because I really enjoyed it. Keep the candles lit, my friends. 
support live rock and roll and comedy and support your artists out there, your favorite artists. Go see them live, buy merch, join their Patreons, whatever you can do. I'll talk to you guys later. All right, we got another episode of Let There Be Talk, and it is the return of White Reaper, who I talked to like a week before the pandemic, which was really crazy. It was it was really weird. It was like uh, I went down to the Troubadour, interviewed the guys, were fired up. They announced they were going to do the Pearl Jam tour. Shit was happening. Had a new record out. Then a little thing called the pandemic. Uh, in and fuck that that's like three years ago now dude you know it was so insane because i remember we we walked in there and it was just like the writing was on the wall everybody was feeling weird now and our agents were there our managers were there and i was i, I was like kind of the harbinger of everything like weeks before i was like this is not gonna end well i don't know what's gonna happen this is not and then they were just like no you remember ebola and all that and never nothing ever changed nothing ever happened and then we went to new mexico after that show and we were in the hotel. We woke up, and they were like, "No gatherings of two hundred people or or more. It's a ban." And we we're like, "Well, I guess we're going home." And that was it. So that was the last show we played. That was so good. Introduce yourself, guys. Oh yeah, this is a uh, Hunter. I play guitar in White Reaper. This is Sam. I play bass. You guys were asked to do the. Um, it was a week long celebration, and you guys got to play. And I believe it was Lars's son's band open for you guys. Who, which, by the way, that guy was a monster on bass. He could have easily been the replacement for Cliff Burton if he was the proper age. Uh, and then we meet up again. But in the meantime, we have seen each other over the years. And uh, you guys have come to see some comedy and everything. And you finally got to do some Pearl Jam shows and everything. But let's talk about that. So the... The 200 people gathering here, you got a new record out, and you couldn't go out and fucking tour it. You just head home to Louisville. What happens there? I guess, you know, we were all pretty worn out, I think, at the time COVID hit. And so in a weird way, it kind of was, uh, you know, it was kind of a nice break for a little bit for all of us to kind of, I think, get back into a headspace where we were excited about doing this again. We had just kind of been burning it for like years at that point. And uh, it was also, you know, it was weird because we did have a lot of momentum going, so it felt like we got a little bit robbed, but in, at the same time, everybody was kind of on the same playing field, so it didn't feel unfair or anything. We were just all like, well, this is just the circumstance. So we all kind of just took some time to, I think, kind of figure out our next moves in life. And, you know, some of us, like, you know, Sam and Nick moved out to L.A. eventually, and I moved back to Texas for a while. The other guy stayed in Kentucky. Um, but it was just like a nice moment to kind of like, crave being back on the road again so like now i think this tour is our real like first headlining tour back uh together and it's probably the most enthusiastic and most aligned that we've ever been together where we all just really want to be doing it because usually it's like at least one of us is kind of exhausted when the pandemic hit the first thing i did was learn how to make sauerkraut and I relapsed, which was bad. But I'm back on top, baby. I got a year sober. <laughs> now, what did you relapse on? Booze? Al alcohol, yeah. Alcohol, yeah. Yep. Yeah, because when I was talking to you, you were sober. You were newly yeah. sober. Well, I had a, when I talked to you, it was like a year. Right. And then COVID. And now I'm back at about, I'm back where I was. I'm at a year. And I'm drinking a topo with you. I'm excited. I'm happy. You know, it's funny because uh, you said, you know, it was it kind of felt like you're robbed. And I felt 
the same way where, you know, at the time, I think I was 54 or whatever, and I had been burning it up, and there was no way I could take a break from comedy because I'm, I'm so old already. When it happened, it was like a force break for everyone. Other people aren't playing gigs. Other people, you know... And it, it made me go, whoo, man. And it was almost like a blessing in disguise for a little bit of, of re, you know, refreshing. Like, like you said, when you're back out on the road now, it's like, oh, my God, I love this so much, you know? Yeah, it was, it was relieving in a way. But, yeah, I mean, it just kind of, it was like a forced timeout that just felt, I don't know, it just gave us time to, like, feel like a human again. Because, like, you know, you know, being on the road, it's just like, such a psychotic way to live and you forget like kind of the pleasantries of consistency and using the same toilet again and again. And it's like, I don't know, it felt nice, but it also made me personally very aware of how much the road brings to my life in terms of stimulation and like just kind of in the moment living. Cause you know, whenever you're just trapped and caged and doing the same thing over and over again, I feel like it can get kind of, I don't know, just you start fixating on things that are not like necessarily that inspiring or important and it just kind of becomes this mundane thing and whenever you're on the road there's just that constant stimulation and excitement and i don't know i think it it really made us aware of how lucky we are to do it so i'm glad i'm glad we're able to do it again well i believe in balance it's crazy because too much of one thing you're like this sucks like when you're on the road you're like i want to get home then when you're home for a while, you're like, I got to get on the road. So the balance is, uh, is definitely uh, the best way to go on that. So you had the Pearl Jam tour and the new record was out. How badly did it affect the sales? Did the record just, just tank? We had number one right before the pandemic hit. So I think it was January or February of 2020. And then that was num- number one alternative radio. And I don't know how much that affected sales. I don't really know the numbers. I do know that every band couldn't tour, and that's one of the biggest things is, like, when you're touring, you're reminding people that you exist. So we just couldn't... It was harder to remind people that we exist, you know? Like, everyone was just at home. (laughs) Yeah, and and also, these bands were putting out records, and they were just fizzling, which is weird because you'd think it would be the opposite. Everybody was just sitting home. You'd think they'd just be listening to uh, records and stuff, but I think everybody was just kind of scatterbrained. Like, I got no time to take in anything. I I might lose my house or my job or my, my life, you know? While all that was happening, it was like, all right, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And it's like, okay, live stream. You want to sell tickets to a a show version of a live stream or live stream version of a show. Yeah. You're like, I don't know if that's who we are. Like, I don't know if that's really, then we were getting into the nitty gritty of like, would I enjoy that? And yeah, it was just a weird time. We're like insanely lucky to be back to where we were, you know, we didn't put out any music over COVID and a lot of people did. And I don't know if that was a consequence of just like, since everybody was locked in, they just, you know, people made a glut of, of, music like there was that iggy pop covid song that he wrote that was hilarious i don't know if you heard that yeah yeah and and there's just like a lot of stuff coming out because it was almost like people were just sending out the refuse because they had nothing else to do and it felt like it created this massive glut of music and i agree with you i would have thought that people would probably be more interested in listening to music they had nothing else to do but at the same time it just felt like everything that came out just got kind of swept like for whatever reason i don't know so I was kind of glad, you know, we took a really long time writing this record that we just came out with, 
and we wrote it over COVID in a lot of different forms over Zoom sometimes and like at Airbnbs across kind of like the Midwest and South and stuff. And it just took a really long time, but we were so concerted also and concerned with like not putting out a COVID record. So I'm kind of glad that we waited until now to put it out when it's kind of like all, you know, it feels like it's in a natural cycle again. And people kind of have that, like it, it doesn't feel like a, this was just the shit that they, you know, created when they were locked up and now you're dealing right. with that. But although some of it is that, you know. But. Well, I, I I think that uh, this record is, I mean, for me, man, it is fucking fire, your new record. Thanks, man. It, it is, uh, first of all, the title track, Ask for a Ride, that thing, man, it has some, uh, and I'm going to go all, all the way out and say this, some of the best right hands since I've heard since Headfield <laughs> or, or uh, Gary Hull. There is a, uh, a galloping bounce in there that's heard on old thrash metal that is fucking fantastic. That's all on the bass, baby. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It, I, was, I was really concentrating on the riff, and it's like... I, I can't even... Uh, there's a couple of them, because there's like the... Yeah, it really does sound like. But there's that one that does like the, you know, it's a gallop. I mean, it was kind of a. It was like the first thing we wrote whenever we got together after like a year of COVID, and it was. I mean, we were just listening to Metallica. That's the truth of the matter. And it was like Tony. We were watching like Metallica documentaries and stuff. And this was like even before we did that Metallica thing. We were just kind of like in that headspace. And so we were just like, this would be funny to just try to make a little thrash song. And it was more just like a kind of bit to us. But then it just ended up being really fun to play. And we kind of like dress it up with those insane solos and stuff. And now it's like, yeah, what we open the show with. Because it's just, it's just fun to play. Oh, it's fucking fantastic song. And it opens the record. And immediately I was like, oh, wow, we got a record here. And it really was killing me because I was listening to it. Bunny Farm is another smash rocker that's like speed metal semi speed metal but with some cheap trick flavor in there so that thing kills and bozo kills i'm like wow this is like you know it it it's just for me being from the bay area it's just like i understand the flavors you know yeah there were a lot of flavors i mean you know it was because we we wrote so many different songs over that time of you know the last three years and we just ended up kind of going with a lot of the ones that were the most fun to play in the room, you know, because we realized, I think on the last record that some of those songs, you know, were kind of written in a demo form. And then we had to reverse engineer them to make them feel good live. And some of them never even got there really. So we didn't always play a ton of that record, um, you know, after the fact. And this was a massive uh, premium placed on like, let's play the ones and record the ones that feel the best for the live show. And so that's kind of why I think those heavier ones, like, made it through the chamber a little bit and yeah i mean a lot of them are just especially i think the ones that people gravitate towards the most are really kind of just like experiments and things that like make us laugh and that are fun to play you know like funny farm is an insane song that, that's a great song you know it was almost like a joke song they're like let's just do it let's like use this one because it's fun to play and all that but. i mean that flavor of the record those songs i mentioned are just to me are just fantastic and also me being such a huge metallica guy what is the era of documentary we're watching were you watching like the making of the black album or that the 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 justice tour one or were you just kind of 
we watched what? the the main ones were the making of the black album i think it's like a two-part documentary where you're like on tour with them and it's so funny we love it we love it so much what's the monster is it some, some kind, kind of monster? monster that's a great one yeah. too i mean people give them uh on some kind of monster because or they had the psychiatrist there and it's like hey fuck face you probably even haven't even had a relationship for two, three, four, five years or worked yeah. at a job. Try playing with four dudes in a band for 30 years and one of them being Hetfield. Oh, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Try doing that. I can, I, I, it makes so much sense that you got to bring someone in at some point. I mean, it's like, I mean, every marriage has it and then you got four extra spouses. It's like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to need to get some professional help. But it's just... It's so funny, too, because their personalities at the end just really align to like, you know, fuck this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy becomes a fucking He weirdo. becomes the enemy. They like displace oh, yeah. all their internal yeah. animosity to him, and he just becomes the whipping boy. It's awesome. I mean, he, he's really cool at first, and then all of a sudden, he's over there giving notes and shit. And you're yeah. like, hey, time to fucking get out of here. He, you know, <laughs> he, he was almost like you know, what people think Yoko was yeah. of the Beatles. But yeah. this guy, like, if you, you see any footage now of Yoko, she's really not saying anything. But if you watch that Beatles doc, she's not going, John, you should go to the C sharp there. You know? Yeah. I mean, that guy at the end, he's like, they're about to fire him, and he's like, professionally i don't think that you should fire me i think you still need me i love that part where they're like they come together because of how much they hate that guy yeah so funny yeah how yeah. great is that 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 was the thing yeah just like the guy that they hired to fix they ended up just hating him and that brought that brought the family back i could very much see that being the result if we went that route like you just take all of this internal anger and just give it to someone else it's kind of it's kind of the perfect scapegoat so when you start writing the record, you said you wrote it in some Airbnbs and yeah. so on Zoom and stuff. At what point, Sam, do you and your brother move out to L.A.? And then, Hunter, you live out here now. At what point do you move out? During COVID or? Yeah, so it was during COVID. I thought that I would never have an opportunity to camp, really. Like, I had a huge window to camp across America. And I bought a tent. And I just drove and I camped in different places. And I came to the Bay a few times and I was like, I don't want to, every time I come to LA, I don't want to leave. So I'm just going to move here and see what happens. And it was perfect timing. My roommate or my old friend moved out of his apartment and I took his apartment. And uh, yeah, it was just kind of like a natural thing. I was trying to get out of Louisville, even though I love Louisville a lot. But How old are you, Sam? 28. Yeah. I mean, you know. There's, I think that anybody in, in, in music or uh, comedy or acting or, or arts should live in New York and L.A. at least once because it really does. I mean, I moved here and my whole life has changed. And we're talking about only a 300-mile move from San Francisco to here. And at any time, you can move back home. I always tell people, like, why not try different shit in your life Cause you could just move back. It's yeah. like that fucking easy. Yeah, it's you not, know, it's not. If you think about it that way, it's not as scary. You can always go back. I've been trying to tell my brother that because he lives. I grew up in Fort Worth, Texas, and all my family lives there still. And my brother uh, has been. You know, he he went to school at OU, and then he uh, moved back to Fort Worth and has like you know a good job. He's he has a good accounting job sort of thing. But he like has this bug in him to move to New York, but he's too practical to do it. And I was talking to him in Dallas the other day. I was like, just do it, man. Just, you can always come back here. Just get it under your belt and have that 
weird experience and you you just don't know what you're going to get if you go to a place like that like you'll fall into things that you would never have the opportunity to see otherwise so well the biggest thing too i think is being a musician or an actor or comedian is being out of your fucking comfort zone that is going to put you into the hey it's do or die right now i got to i got to you know get out of this comfort zone and start going to the next level you know and that's really one of the greatest things you can do to yourself as an artist you know yeah that like getting myself out of my comfort zone basically put me in the situation i met so many amazing people and i was able to tour opening for jerry cantrell for like a summer and it was actually a winter or fall but anyway it was sick seeing him play all the classics every night and like you know, there's cool opportunities pop up when you're out here. So it's oh, been it's good. so true. Yeah. Everything I've gotten has been from, I, I always say, if you're mining for gold, you got to get the fucking pan in the river. <laughs> yeah. You can't fucking look for gold. You know what I'm saying? Like I moved to LA and then everything I've gotten really was from the comedy store patio, from just being out there in the fucking mix and people are like yeah you know like i'm not really good at like talking to people and shit i'm like hey dude i'm fucking 50 something you think i'm good at you you have to you have to get good at it you know dude by the way speaking of comedy store thank you so much for taking us there that was like a highlight moment for me i've never been there that was sick to see you do a set it was really good oh i'm so glad you guys came down and come down anytime you live up the fucking street i'm there all the time yeah so you guys start writing it. So what, Airbnbs and Zoom? How does this happen? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of like we were, I think we were exhausted. You know, we felt like this last record kind of got, you know, left in the dirt a little bit. And so I think there was a little bit of a, we just needed like a latency period to kind of get some refreshment in our brains. And, you know, I think we were all doing our solo things. And, you know, I was playing guitar a ton. I know Tony was just making like little scrap demos and stuff like that. And the label, I think, was pushing like, this is a great opportunity to to write some shit. So we were like, all right. Fine, and about, you know, October of 2020, I guess, we all linked up in Rogers, Arkansas, I think it was, because it was like a halfway point between where I was in Texas and where the other guys were in Louisville. Um, So we drove like nine hours because we weren't getting on planes at that time. Nobody was doing it, I guess, really. And uh, yeah, we, we rented this weird like Hobbit House Airbnb thing in the middle of nowhere, Arkansas, and we just hung out there for a couple weeks and just made a ton of demos and a couple of them stuck primarily the title track from the the new song and then you know we went our separate ways and we kind of just did iterations of that for like a couple of years you know we would write on zoom and kind of share screens tony would have little seeds of ideas then we met up in nashville at some point wrote some songs met up in louisville wrote some songs it just kind of was like a gradual process and then we ended up recording the record in november trying to record it in november of 2021 i guess was it yeah, 2021, I think, in Seattle. And we kind of had this realization that a lot of these songs we had overtouched or maybe overcomplicated through some of the, I guess, mechanisms of writing, like over Zoom. You know, whenever you're sitting there virtually looking at like a logic project or something and you're like, let's add a 17th guitar to this track. And then you get in the room and try to play it together and you're like, oh, this is really hollow without all the excess bullshit we threw on this, uh, you know, over the computer. And so... I think, you know, that recording experience, we kind of realized, all right, we got we to gotta write some songs quickly that we can, you know, just throw together and have, like, just the power of us in a room kind of come out uh, on the recording. So we 
wrote like four or five more songs, um, some like latent demos. There's a song called Fog Machine on there that Tony oh, had a riff one. short, a riff for. <clears throat> yeah, it's a really fun one to play. And uh, kind of built that out. Bozo, Pink Slip, Crawl Space, a couple of the other songs. And just like rehearsed them a week before we went and re-recorded the record in Nashville with our buddy Jeremy Ferguson at the studio called Battle Tapes. And uh, I mean, we just did it really fast. We had like three years. And then in the end, like in two months, we just wrote half the record and then just like threw it together because it i don't know i think keeping the energy quick and like immediate and simple was kind of like this long roundabout lesson we had to learn for this record and i think we'll write differently from now on because of that so you started tracking the record in seattle and it failed yeah we we did like 10 or 12 songs something like that and it just did it you know when all when we listened back there was just never that moment of like yeah this kicks ass you know different producer different producer was it uh, her name was Jen DeSilvio. Um, and you know, she, she's a nice person, but I just think we weren't in the right space. I don't think, you know, we were like, I don't think we communicated on the same level. You know, I mean, we kind of have this weird, you know, I guess internal language between the five of us and we all, you know, are pretty, I, you know, con- we all contribute a lot of ideas to the, to the process. And so it's like, whenever you get somebody else in there, that's not necessarily of the hive mind. I think it can be kind of polarizing for them. And I think it was a combination of that mixed with just not having the right material that we were super stoked on and feeling like it was gelling. Yeah, my favorite tracks and a lot of other people's favorite tracks off this new record came literally like a week or two before we went and recorded them, like on the second session. So like everything that we really like about this, a lot of what we really like about this record came like right before we recorded the second version so it was just kind of like i think it ultimately came down to like us and the songs we had at the time too so did you guys choose her or did the label recommend her and what did she work on before she had worked on heinz um a band from spain and we listened to their record we saw it we thought it sounded good and uh what else did she work on she did she did a lot of co-writing with like pop kind of stuff right yeah and then you guys ditch out of there and you go to Nashville and eventually uh, start re-recording and working on new songs. The record sounds fantastic. And I got to say, over the last couple of years, I just heard the new Metallica, not the whole thing, but the, and your guys' records, uh, new record. And one thing I've noticed the most about is it seems like we finally have gotten to where it almost, I would say it sounds like tape. Like digital, I can't tell anymore. It's fat. The guitar tones are are brutal. And there's no more flat digital squish anymore. And I noticed it on the new Metallica two songs and your new record. Immediately, I was like, wow. this." Is, so it's digital, right? Yeah. Yeah. We didn't. I don't think we did anything on tape. Yeah, we on did. The new one. There was no tape. You know, I th- part of that I chalk up to, you know, it's like one great engineering and Jeremy is a really great engineer who does things with a cool board and cool outboard gear and, you know, old Neve preamps and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, and I also think, you know, obviously software's gotten better. I think part of that element for us is like, we don't, you know, there's not that many tracks on our recordings. And that was kind of to the point of like, we wanted to make sure that whatever we were playing in rehearsal felt the same as like the record. So, I mean, you know, maybe there's like double guitars and stuff, but everything else is pretty much just like, what we have going on at the show. There's not a bunch of excess tracks and a bunch of like crazy things going on that, you know, 
I think a lot of modern records can have that make it seem like super hi-fi and it doesn't kind of have that simple patina whenever you're only listening to like 10 or 15 things in your ears. It, it almost just sounds simpler and you kind of can like hear every individual element, I think a little bit better, but yeah, I don't know if the, I don't know if the software has anything to do with that or not, but I'm sure it definitely has gotten better. Oh yeah. I mean, you could just tell, I mean, yeah. if we listen to old digital and even back to the early ADATs, you know, oh, yeah. where it was just, I mean, you're just like, I mean, I listen to my old records and I'm like, you know, there's tape records. And then I did ADAT, one ADAT record. And I put that on. I'm always like, oh, God, <laughs> you know. And now, I mean, it's just mind boggling how great this record sounds to me. I think it sounds Thanks, fantastic, man. man. Now, Thanks. how does the Metallica 40 year anniversary uh, thing come about? Is it Lars's kids fans of you or what's happening? I think that Metallica somewhere along the way learned about us and liked us. Yeah. And which is a huge compliment. And they hit up a bunch of bands to cover songs off the Black Album. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And at first we were like, okay, there's going to be like, maybe how many songs are on the Black Album? I have no idea. We thought it was going to be like, you know, one song per band. Like That's what I thought. But and, it, it yeah. was like five bands did each song. Yeah. And it was like, there were like 10 Enter Sandmans on there. Yeah. <laughs> there was like... There was like a lot of sad but trues, which we ended up doing. But uh, people like our version of sad but true, which is cool. We we did a pretty tried and true version of it because we figured, I don't know, it's just fun for us to play and kind of LARP yeah. like we were, you know, in Metallica for a little bit. So we we were like, we want to make it sound as much like that Metallica record as we can. And what actually ended up happening is we did that recording with the guy that we recorded the record with because we just, and we just got along with them really well. Uh, and yeah, he's he like engineers for cage the elephant stuff in nashville and he's uh, just he kind of could communicate with us on our bonehead level you know he could just kind of like get down to that weird like twin talk we all have with each other and so that, i think it just kind of became a really good friendship and that's why we went with him in the end but yeah it's funny to think about how heavy sad but true is and wherever i may roam and uh holier than thou holier than thou yeah that's that you know and then you get those blockheads out there like i'm out of what's blackout my out, and it's like <laughs> good man good you could go miss out on all these great songs i feel like back then people were were really insane about like bands diversifying like the replacements i think in the late 80s put out an album called don't tell a soul yeah and all of their fans were like the match sold out like this record is overproduced it sounds like crap and it's like my one of my favorite records by them because it's so different and it's like a little more serious but it's also still funny and it's just like a more matured version of it and it's like that's crucial i think for people to like change their sound and evolve it doesn't like there's a reason that neil young didn't make harvest moon a million times how about yeah like transformer by neil young i mean you know he turns that in and the label's like it's like his first record with Gavin, and they're like, no, man, we, we need Harvest Part 2. What, what, this ain't Neil Young. You're like, yeah, it is. I, yeah, I made yeah. the record. I meant Harvest, not Harvest Moon. Sorry, Neil yeah. Young fans. <laughs> but Harvest Moon, fantastic record. But it's funny to think about that, like when people back then were so, I, and especially Metallica gets it more than anybody. Uh, I'm out once Quiff's out. Oh, okay, so you don't like Justice, their best record? And then the next wave of people are like, I'm out when they cut their hair. That one fucking cracks <laughs> me up. Total like Cinderella thing it's so or weird. Samson. 
Yeah. It's so weird. It's just like it's it was the culture of music back then, and obviously like we weren't around for it, but I feel like there was such a identity associated with whatever version of something you liked that you were like you know you were kind of in this mass hypnosis of like this is the thing that i'm attracted to and i relate to and so as soon as it changes my like identity is now compromised for some reason and you know you watch like those pre metallica concert interviews with like all the kids that are at their shows and you're like they're just you know a bunch of bonehead you know metal kids that are like he can't believe he cut his hair, man. Yeah. It's like, I know. <laughs> who gives a shit? I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> it's so weird, man. I love it, though. It's Let's, funny to be that loyal to a look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's fucking... Also, it's funny to think about, like, you know, there was that right around and then when grunge was hitting and everybody just had shaved heads and, and you know... Nobody said anything about Lane Staley when he had long hair. And then all of a sudden, the next record, he had shaved head. Nobody said one thing. They were just like, he's getting eviler and meaner. This is crazy, <laughs> you know? He might have been. Who knows? His voice sounded good as hell with, with both haircuts. Oh, yeah. Oh, the guy was just a god. Yeah. So they ask you guys to do the show. You get the call, and they say, hey, do you want to play the, the, the party? And Basically. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I think we were in a big metallic phase like we said at the time and like i think their managers you know are friends with our managers and they were like they had been i think their you know metallic's managers were into us and i think it got to the band and they just you know i don't know how all that shit works behind the scenes but if whenever you get a call and say hey they want you to do this show we're like yeah well, let's go yeah. and then uh yeah type a houston the a band's actually on tour with us now also played the gig which is yeah largest kids um, and they're awesome and, you know, insane musicians. And they're louder than both of the other bands on the bill. And there's just two of them. It's kind of insane. Like, they're the loudest band we've ever toured with. They were fucking great, man. They were great. Yeah. The two-piece bass and drums, uh, really radical, you know? Yeah. They're, they're and, cool and, musicians. And that bass playing was just fucking mind-blowing. And I love watching Lars up in the balcony. We're up there and he's just watching like proud dad, you know? He should be yeah. at that point. That was a wild week, man. Of uh, it was like one of the greatest nights of my life. I opened for him for two nights doing comedy. It was the hardest and most brutalist <laughs> and the most pressure of all time. Because when I first said yes, and then I hung up, I was like, "Oh wait a minute! I went to the thirty-year anniversary, and it was incredible." I, I, anything I can do is going to fuck this yeah. up. I mean, that's a question we keep asking ourselves. It's like, why are we a part of this? This is insane. <laughs> I don't deserve this. Like, it was self, crazy. you know, self-flagellating kind of self-dialogue. But uh, yeah, we saw you open that show. Actually, it was great. You're like the hype man. You're like, Metallica. And I was like, yeah. yeah. Which night sick. did you go? The first night or second? I think it was the first night. Oh, yeah. And something funny happened. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I remember you giving somebody something, some shit was thrown around up there. Yeah. Do you remember what it was? I don't. I, well, I do remember. Well, you know, a lot of people uh, don't understand what happened on that show. And I had to describe it about a week later because one of the reviewers was like, uh, the comedian got booed off the stage. I was like, I didn't get booed <laughs> off at all. It was unbelievable how he just made up his own thing. There were a couple dudes booing, but they were booing because there were short films 
that were supposed to be shown. Yeah. And so what happened was I was supposed to go up, do six minutes, then introduce a film. Yeah. Then DJ Lord would spin for a few. Then I would go up, introduce another film, then DJ Lord, and I would do six minutes. So when I went up and then introduced the film, the film didn't work. The oh. servers crashed. So they looked at me and they're like, stay up there. And I'm like, stay up here. I just said, here's the film. Tell, tell some jokes. Be funny. Tell yeah. some jokes. So, yeah, I can do that. But after a while, I'm looking and they're like, keep going. Keep going. Then they said, okay, come off. And as I start to come off, they go, no, it crashed again. Oh, my so God. it became a... Uh, I, that's what I remember. I remember there was like technical difficulties. And it was yeah. like, something is stressful right now. Yeah, but I don't know yeah. what's happening. And it was... So then I had to just kind of go into hype man mode. There was nothing else I could do because when you do comedy, you don't go, all right, and then you split, and then you go, oh, just kidding. So I got another day. You know what I mean? There was a show in Chicago where during a song, stage manager was like, all right, you guys got to get off stage. Your time is up. And we're like, okay. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I messed up. You go back up. And we're like, we're not going back on stage. Yeah. There's no way we're going. That would be so stupid. We would look like idiots. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if we were in your position, we would have to, you know, because you're still up there and you ha someone has to be up there. Right. But like, I think either way, man, it's hard to not have like a hype sensibility when you're literally opening up for Metallica. You your have favorite to, band. You have to hype. My them. hometown, yeah. their hometown. I've known them for 30 years. Uh, for, uh, at the time, it was uh, 39 years because it was the 40 year. And, uh, and I mostly didn't want to fuck it up for them. I didn't give a fuck if the audience liked me. It's not like 5,000 people are going to go out of there like, that's my new favorite comic. I'm going to see it. That just doesn't happen. There was people from Brazil and Ecuador and, <laughs> and you know, Hong Kong. It, it was just more of doing it to sit back and go, I fucking opened for Metallica because the whole time I played music, I wanted to open for Metallica and it never happened. And as a comedian, some great shit has happened for me and that was the number one thing. And I just was, I remember the second night as I, you know, because the band brought me up and the second night as they brought me up, James walked up and he goes, let's hope it goes better tonight. And I go, <laughs> let's hope the fucking videos work. And he goes, yeah, we kind of threw you in the fire. Sorry. <laughs> and he just walked off. And you could see me and have me laughing. Oh, you know, my like, God. It was just, but the second night was fantastic. <sighs> and, and I remember, because I like they kind of cherry-picked the set list for the first one and yeah. held off on some stuff for the second night. And we were bummed we didn't get to go to both. But, I mean, the show was fucking insane. It was an yeah. awesome yeah. show. Um, but yeah, wait, what, when did you transition into comedy? I'm sorry if this is boring for your listeners, no, but I'm all, curious. Um, 13 years ago, December 6th. So I'm on my 14th year. And what was the, what was the like realization that you're like, I want to do comedy instead? Well, I'd played music forever. Yeah. And after 25 years, I decided I've done it. You know, there's. You know, I've ran its course, uh, illegal downloading. I wasn't making any more money and everything. And um, so I started working at Harley Davidson. And after like three years, I was just kind of like, oh, man, I miss being on stage. And, you know, but I didn't go, oh, I'm going to fire up music again. And then I, I ended up by random choice, you know, luck doing some movies. 
And uh, one of them was an Ice Cube film, and there was three comedians on it. And I was just started talking to them like, I, I always wanted to do comedy. Before I played music, I wanted to be a comedian. But I was a kid, and back then kids didn't do comedy. Yeah. They just didn't, that just didn't happen. There was no YouTube. There was no, I mean, you know, and, and the people I loved looked like adults, but they were really 18, 19. Yeah. I didn't know. They had sideburns. Like John Belushi, I worshipped him. The guy wasn't even that old, but to me, as a uh, 12-year-old, he seemed like he was 40. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Richard Pryor, he was a god to me, and Carlin, and and Flip Wilson, and Bob Newhart, and uh, Jonathan Winters. It was just all, I was engulfed in comedy and music. But music you could do with dudes in the neighborhood, and yeah. you get it going, so... Eventually, when I got home from that film, I was I said, "Oh, I'm going to try it," and I never stopped. Man, that's so. I feel like there's this sick fantasy in a lot of musicians' head that like, I'd like to do this by myself with just a microphone, and and it's like you know, because whenever you're on stage and you say anything funny at all, there's such a low expectation. First of all, if you're like a band playing, and then you say something funny because they don't expect you to say anything funny, and so yeah. if you do and you get that laugh, there's like a different kind of sick thrill than rush that you get that's different than you know like performing a song that you've like mastered yeah there's like there's more of like this kind of i mean you know it's just like it, it feels a little more gratifying and a little more like i kind of just fell onto that and it and it elicited some good response and so i feel like there's this sick fantasy with every musician to be a comedian at the end of the day also it's a way better economical uh, breakdown Ooh, for, in terms man, of touring you're telling god me. I'll tell you, that's an interesting thing that you bring that up because, um, one, I started the podcast because I knew that musicians wanted to be comedians and comedians want to be musicians always, yeah. you know? But as I watch your band, there was always a thing with me when I played music that there would be no comedy involved. It, to me, music was just such a fucking, it's got to be, there's no comedy, there's mystique, and there's, you know, we're, we're fucking music. We're cool. It was that. As I watch your band, there is a comedic feel to it. And as I've gotten older now, I, I, can, I can deal with it because I get it, you know. Uh, some people are just, you know, they like to have fun up there. Uh, especially with your keyboard player, you know. <laughs> Which I, uh, at first, when I first saw your band, I was like, what's going on here? You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm saying? I was like... And um, so, and then it's funny that you guys say, because you, uh, you got in the studio with that uh, producer and she just didn't understand your, your thing. But what, at any point, was there a thing like, hey, we got to be serious here and then eventually broke those walls down? There was, I mean, if we had a conversation like we got to be serious on stage, <laughs> we might fizzle apart. We're just always going to be ourselves, honestly. Like my favorite, it's interesting. I feel like, my favorite bands are like Ween and the Replacements, like silly ass live bands, you know, just like like Weezer also. Yeah, Weezer. Yeah. yeah, they have great sense of humor. Everything, every movie, TV show, music, it has for me, it has to have a sense of humor. So it's like, yeah, you gotta think, you gotta say though, in rock, it is very rare to see a band with a sense of humor on stage they'll have it off stage like yeah. crazy i'll tell you this right now a lot of people i've told this over and over on this podcast the funniest human i know is jacob dylan you would never really? know that yeah but he he's uh you know one of my best friends and one of the funniest guys I ever know 
You know, he seems like he's got a. Dry, I've heard him on like Joe Rogan and stuff, but he's he, and he does have like a pretty dry thing going on. Yeah, yeah. But he didn't strike me as like a. Yeah, like like he seems like he'd be a serious dude when he's playing music. Well, he's definitely a serious dude when he plays yeah. music. That's what I'm saying. Nobody knows that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying about you guys. We show you it wear off. it on your sleeve, right? <laughs> yeah. exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's just because I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, everybody except for me has known each other since they were little kids, and so like the the humor was developed alongside the music taste. You know, it's like watching the same movies and like you know just thinking the same stupid stuff is funny, like. Comedy and like making each other laugh is such a critical part to why we're even still doing this. And like, I mean, we say all the time that we are paid and just really just laughs in the van. And that's kind of why we do it still. Cause you know, it's not the most economic decision in the world always, but it's like, you know, whenever I joined the band, I think a massive criteria apart from like being able to play the guitar was like, I just got them and their sense of humor. And we were all kind of like molded by the same pop culture things and like what makes us laugh and it's i mean most of what we are doing off stage and on stage and in writing music and i think our best songs is whenever we like do something that makes us laugh in a song like there's definitely a sense of humor in a lot of our music because it's like you know it's rock music and it's a lot of you know not like we're trying to do tropes and like make you know weird owl music or anything but it's like it just innately in the music that we gravitate towards there's these big kind of bygone motifs that we are just like fascinated by and we think are fun and we think they're funny you know to play like a thrash metal song on our album is like it's funny to us to have that right right so i don't know it's kind of an inevitable thing and it just i think it's it's kind of what seals our brotherhood and why we have a good time is nobody like takes themselves very seriously at all well i think it's great uh for me to see too because you know, I'm, I'm usually not a rigid guy. I mean, I love all different types of music. I love all different types of comedy. I love all different types of books and movies and everything. But there was definitely that thing for me of like, fuck, we're on stage. Let's go. And, you know, and and to see it with you guys, then I start to get. And also, I think Weezer early on, you know, uh, really helped me see the other side of that. Like, oh, man. And one of the songs that did that was um, In the Garage, you know. In the I was garage. listening to that yeah. like literally two hours ago on the way over and, here. And that started to get me into like, oh, you can have humor, but it's not joke rock, quote yeah. unquote. Uh, hash pipe being another one. Dun, 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 I got my hash. You're just like, what? You know, but those are some of my favorite songs all time of Weezer, you know. I think one of my favorite moments on stage is when a band that I'm seeing, like f- somebody in the band fucks up and then they look at each other and like laugh because then I'm like, oh, I'm just one of them, you know? Yeah. And then we're all just people. Well, I do. Just, love, I, don't know. I love do- seeing that. Yeah. Like even with Metallica, how mighty Hetfield is when he sees like Lars fuck up, he'll be like, you're fucking up back there. You know, he'll yeah. call it out. <laughs> and it's so weird whenever you see things. I mean, I love the strokes, but like I remember watching them at Ohana Fest and somebody was fucking up, and it was like the side glares and shit. It just makes it like, oh, my God, this is like my parents are getting divorced in front of me. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't like watching them fight. Uh, but I don't I don't know. You know, there's no effort on our part to, like, do any shtick or whatever. It's it's really just, like, how we interact off stage is how we interact on stage, and there's no, like, performative cool guyness because we're not that cool. So it's like it would just kind of be a farce if we were like steel jawed up there. And like, I don't know. I think it would also be pretty dishonest to the music uh, because we are laughing when we're making it pretty much the whole time. 
So the Pearl Jam tour finally happened. You guys got to go out and do some dates, and uh, that had to be pretty fucking mind-boggling. I mean, I had Stone Gossard on the show last year, and it was still one of the top 10 guests of all time for me because I'm an absolute Pearl Jam freak, especially the Versus (laughs) record, especially Temple of the Dog, uh, and also Mad Season. Any of the side bands that the guys did, blow my fucking mind mother love bone being the all-time greatest for mm-hmm. me which by the way had a lot of sense of humor yeah. with andrew wood you know so what was that like to go out with pearl jam and and i think speaking of dropping some of the rigidness eddie has finally over all these years finally kind of gotten rid of that you know what i mean so that had to be kind of wild. Wait, what be- do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I first saw Eddie, man, you know, it was like, uh, it was it was so bizarre. And now he's he's pretty human now. Man, it was surreal. Like, we haven't ever toured Europe before. We did a full Europe tour. We went to Sweden. We went to, we ate at a Burger King in Sweden. It was, it was great. It was, <laughs> it was insane because, you know, we, they really let us pretend we were in a massive band in a way and like they carried all of our gear for us wow we flew like they they were extremely hospitable to us and like we had multiple off days in like every city so we were just on vacation which you never get to do on the road you know like we're just you know you're there and then you're out always and so this was like i mean it was really our kind of a gentleman's trip to europe and we got to see everything and it was honestly probably one of my I mean, if not my favorite memories, I mean, I, I really don't know what could beat it because we just went everywhere and it was insane. Every few nights, the people that worked with Ed were like, all right, Ed wants to hang tonight. And we we're like, let's go. Let's go. And they took us to Ed's room and he would be like, you guys need anything? And we would do, <laughs> we did it enough times where we'd be like, where's Stone? Ed, where's where's Stone at? And yeah. he'd be like, want me to FaceTime? I'll FaceTime him right now. And we're like. <laughs> Actually, you don't have to do that but we met the rest of the band they were really cool everyone was just they, it was above and beyond man it was like it was just like when you dream when you have like a really great dream of touring with a huge band that's what the dream is like it could have couldn't have gone better honestly. that's so amazing it was and, amazing and you two playing bass and guitar uh two of the best there i love jeff and I love Mike McCready. Oh my God! What was like? Because McCready, he's got the he's got the vintage guitars. He's got the fucking killer vintage amps and shit, and he just slays it. Were you just watching him every night? Did he let you check out his guitars? And Dude, all I was. That? Yeah, I was looking at everything, taking pictures of his shit, getting his uh, settings. I've got them all on, the, on my phone. But I mean, they sounded insane. Eddie's voice sounds as good as ever. I mean, it was really inspiring. I was I was pretty blown away because I'd never seen Pearl Jam before. And I also wasn't like a massive Pearl Jam head before. I definitely became one afterwards uh, just because, you know, Mike is goes on these insane solos and just with like crazy confidence. He's moving around the whole time. I mean, it was just kind of a, it's cliche, but it was like a master class watching a dude like that just kind of open up his third eye and just play a seven minute solo to a song. You're just like, because we are so different. We like are concentrated. We write our solos like Skinner, you know, like yeah. they're melodic. They're like meant to be what they are. And so to watch somebody kind of just blues out old school and just the dynamic of the band and how tight and good they still are. It was 
pretty incredible because i mean you know you see some legacy bands if you want to call them that and it just gets sad at a point and it was very far from sad oh it's not even close to sad it was incredible and that guy i mean all you got to do is listen to reach down on on temple of the dog and it's one of the most insane outro solos ever and he's got so much fluid kind of hendrix oh so smoothness to him man and the his tone is and the guy's got crohn's you know, and he's just no problem out there, just killing it, and uh, and 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 none of the guys are dicks. No, they're all it's really crazy. nice. They're all really like insanely nice. I mean, I can't think of many bands that we've you know we've opened for some other big bands, and usually everybody is extremely nice. The only the only band that we like never really got to know any of the guys or talked to them was we opened for Billy Idol for a little bit and he was a bit shit off but I'm like you know if you're Billy Idol you do whatever you want but you don't need to talk to me I'll just look at you <laughs> but I mean he they were just like you know there's no pretense they've been doing it forever and they were just you know down to earth cool guys I mean I think they're they're they have that mentality of just like we're just grateful and yeah. we just want to give you a little piece of the goodness that we got and we'll take it Let's talk about the album cover. I'm a huge uh, Robert Williams uh, fan. It feels like it has some heavy Robert Williams influence on it. Uh, one of the famous Robert Williams album covers was Appetite for Destruction, of course. Mm. But uh, it's got a flavor of that. Who did it? And were, were you guys aware of Robert Williams? Do you, did you say, we're looking for a Robert Williams feel? I'm looking at the cover of Appetite for Destruction again just to double check what it looks well, like. Well, they banned the cover, remember? Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and then it became the uh, cross, yeah. Wait, so there's an original cover that's not, that oh, I haven't yeah, seen? Oh, yeah, the painting's called Appetite for Destruction oh. by Robert Williams. Oh, I see this. Yeah. Wow, that's sick. But some of Robert Williams' paintings, um, it's very influenced to me by uh, Robert Williams, you know? Yeah, it looks kind of like that for sure. No, the guy... So the label sent us a few artists. They were like, this guy, this guy, this guy. And there's a guy named Mark Stutzman who did a Mad Magazine cover, and he did a few other really crazy illustrations. And we literally sent him a list. We were like, we want a thumb in the middle of the album cover to look like someone's hitching a ride. Yeah. And then we want a bunch of crazy stuff around the thumb. So we were like, we want Mozart playing a Nintendo Switch. We want a witch uh, flying around. We want a tornado, a cowboy, just like little themes, you know, just silly, crazy shit. And he painted it. He drew it. He painted it. It looks fake. It looks like he didn't do that, but he actually drew all of that shit. It's just insane. It's crazy. What's his name? Uh, What is it? Is it Mark Mark Stutzman? Yeah. And he's done, I mean, he's done a bunch of stuff. He did like David Blaine posters. He's done like... Oh, man. Well, Blaine's posters are incredible. He does all those. He does like... He did Mad Magazine stuff. He did like Batman comics. He, I mean, yeah. he's just got that kind of old school illustrator touch. And I mean, yeah, it was just kind of we we were literally just naming off certain ideas and visuals that we thought would be funny, like personified tornado being roped by a cowboy. Um, you know, uh, somebody with in a guillotine getting their ass chopped off. I mean, it was just like, and we, we just wrote out those words and sent it to him, and he just went insane with it. So I mean, we can't take yeah, too he much killed credit, it, man. Yeah, he's super super talented, dude. Um, and it kind of, we got to see the whole process of it cause he would do like the sketches and then he would do the painting on top of it. I mean, it's all handmade. I would love to see the original like oh, thing gotta, of it. I got to see, gotta, you got to go Kerry King style. He just <sighs> buys the originals. You know, he's got the original from like season of the abyss, you know, the Slayer covers. I wonder man. how much it would be to get that off, off Mark. You Mark, if you're listening, out. yeah, I got 500 bucks for you. 
So you guys are on tour right now. I'm going to see you at the Fonda uh, tonight. And then uh, uh, Wednesday, I will be in San Francisco the same night you guys. I'm doing the punchline. Where are you guys at Wednesday? At August Hall. It's the, I oh, think we're we'll playing right. the that's same place. the same place. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. yeah. Same, that place kind of rocks. That place is great. Good green room. Yeah. And then how, much, how many more dates on the tour? We're going until the end of March. And then we're doing a, I guess we probably can't announce it yet. We'll tell you off the air, but we got some other cool opening gigs coming up that are going to be insane. That it's going to be in a little, little South American action. You can't leak it? I don't think we can. We? I don't think we can. I'll oh, get in here trouble. Comes, here comes the leak. We're going to have to save it for you. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe text Sarah right now, our manager, and see if we can unload it here. World debut. Let's, yeah. give, let's give Dean the exclusive. That'd be great. Um, so no. the record, the record is out right now, everybody, and it's uh, asking for a ride. How does that? Uh, what is that about the title? The track? title. The title was well. So we were at that Airbnb. We wrote this metal riff, having fun. Tony like didn't have a car there, and I had brought my car, and he just kept asking me for rides. <laughs> and he was like, "Can I go get jewel pods? Can you take me to get coffee?" He's like, "Sorry, I keep asking for a ride." And I was like, "That's a funny. Like that's just a funny phrase." So then I named the demo that, and then. It just stuck. You know, the song's not even about that or yeah, anything. It just was like a funny phrase. And then it kind of just, we were trying to think of the album name. And we were like, why don't we just, that was the first song we really wrote. Let's just name it that. And that was kind of it. Just a cool phrase, I think. Yeah. I, I really like this record, man. Thanks, And dude. I really like the last record. And uh, you guys just keep getting better and better. It's wild. And I'm, uh, I'm glad you guys came to do the show. Yeah, I man. was really fired up to have you back on again. I rarely have bands on two or three times because it's never really about a promo junket type of show. It's more body of work and everything. But I've been such a fan of you guys. And also, you guys are friends of mine. And I, I just dig it. So everybody, go get this record. Go see them on tour. Uh, San Fran Wednesday. Then what? Just up the up Seattle, Portland, and all that. Yep, Vancouver. Then we're going back, kind of th down south through you know like Denver, Omaha. Then we'll end up back on the East Coast, do Toronto, do New York, do Philadelphia, and we got a lot of cool bands opening for us. There's this band that you might like called Military Gun. That's like a really cool kind of punk band. Um, they kick ass. We got two bands on tour with us right now. Type A Houston. We talked about in a band called Narrowhead, um, who are really really a sick band. Pretty. You know, best I can say, if you like Smashing Pumpkins, you might like them. But, uh, yeah. You guys got a bus on this tour? We got a big-ass Sprinter van. Oh, Sprinter. Nice Mercedes Sprinter. Yeah. You know, we, like we said, it's not the most economical option out here. So we, uh, we like to save our money where we can. I hear you, dude. Yeah. I hear you. I was just on a bus tour, and I couldn't even fucking believe how much the bus costs a week. It's insane. I, I mean, from back when I was touring... And they were twenty five hundred bucks a week, and now the guy goes, "Now nah, they're fifteen grand a week." Yeah, I mean You're now like, now a now a sprinter is twenty five hundred bucks a week. It's unreal, right, dude? It's just, I mean, especially the way we do it, because you know we we're we're like a you know communist band that we split everything, so it's like we we do it that way and it's just like you know you got to save as much money as you can for all of us boys to eat some chicken especially if you are going to live in fucking L A. Oh yeah, yeah, this ain't Louisville. No, it ain't. You know. The rents are crazy here. The gas is crazy. And, uh, and, and I'm glad you guys moved here because I think you're going to really, uh, you're going to get some shit out of it, man. Yeah, That's it's just crazy, it. man. There's just so many people that are excited and playing music here and like really committing to doing it. And I've, I've only been here since, you know, for a couple months now. And it's just like, it's one of those things that you just 
are in the mix all the time. And I, I think it, it kind of just breeds stuff that you just can't anticipate otherwise or, you know, get exposed to otherwise. So I'm excited to see what happens to us out here. Were, were you opening or were you on a headlining tour with the bus? I was uh, on with Marcus King. Oh, that's right. That's so right. Yeah, they let me ride on their bus, which was great because it was the only way to do it. Yeah. Because it, they perform every night. I couldn't fly every night and I couldn't drive myself, you know, because you got to sleep. So it was the only way I could do it. But um, it, it's wild to be in that machine. And, you know, I like to really get that out over and over and over so people understand. Buy some fucking tickets. Buy some records, buy some merch, because the bands are barely making it out there. The big bands, yeah, fuck yeah, they're rich as hell. The Springsteens, the U2s, the Metallicas, yeah, the, the Pearl Jams, but they, they've been around 30 years. They were getting robbed for years. So I, I like to get the numbers out there so there's no mystery to the fans. Out there. Like, I can't believe it. The shirt's 50 bucks. It's like... Hey man, that's just you know. We don't. We don't. We never gouge. We literally do the best we can. Yeah, <laughs> we all do. Yeah, we all do. If anything, we're a little too cheap. But uh, it's right. it's kind of that ethos of like we want people to come out and not feel like they're getting gouged. But it is also we're getting gouged. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just the name of the game. And like I said, man, we do it because we love doing it and because it's fucking fun and funny. That's. A, I mean, look, I've I've been doing it my whole life. Uh, I I never got rich, but I fucking love doing it. You know, it's it love of the game, baby. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we get out of here, any comedy specials you've watched lately that you dig? Dude, I've watched a, a bunch. I mean, I, I've been listening to you. It's kind of crazy. I've been listening to you since like 2016. I heard you on like Joey Diaz or something. Oh, yeah. And I remember listening to you guys. I was in South America at the time and you guys were talking about, you were talking about Greta Van Fleet and oh, I had yeah. not heard it. It was the first time I heard it and you showed Joey it and I, and then I've, yeah, I've been listening to you ever since, but um, let's see if comedy specials that I've You watched. seen the new Marin one yet? I haven't seen the Marin yeah, one. Yeah, you guys should see that. I saw Santino's. Uh-huh. I saw that one. I like that one. I saw, uh, I saw Shane Gillis's YouTube one. Yep. So I saw Stavros's yep. YouTube one. I like that one a lot. Um, I'm trying to think. Who have you seen? I think the last one I saw was Ari Shafir's last special. Oh, that's great, yeah. too. Oh, yeah. I saw him that, do that at the Creek in the Cave. fantastic. Yeah, I saw him do that at Creek in the Cave, and it was really good, really funny. I haven't seen the recorded version, but the show was awesome. Uh, we, we watched the Louis C.K. one the other day at the Airbnb. That one was pretty funny. What's that, the garden one? Yeah, the garden one, the How live stream one. It was funny. He, had, he got us quite a few times, so... Well, I'll tell you, the, the Ari one, man, uh, I talked to Ari about, I saw Ari two weeks ago in New York. I did Sony Hall with Diaz. And I don't think people understand how hard it would be to do a full hour and 10 minutes, hour and 20 minutes. That was hour and 20, I believe, on one topic of being Jewish. Because if you get out in middle America, people are like, hey, man, you going to switch the topic? You know what I'm saying? And you have to stay in it the entire time. It was a lot like, uh, not the same, but I remember Metallica put Justice out, and they went on the whole tour. The whole tour, they played the Justice album. Yeah, yeah. the candles behind it looks so cool. I saw the, the thing about that, that I think why people are so attracted to it also is because it's kind of a universal experience you know so many people in america grow up either you know if it's not jewish it's like you know you know the bible because you're you know especially midwest or a bunch of christian people out there and it's it's all going for the same thing it's all the you know you can relate to it 
yes, everybody's getting their religion uh, scrutinized in his yeah. special, which I think is just kind of a universal. It's a relatable talk topic, I think, and he crushed it. And Marin's is fantastic because he lost the love of his life. Man, I recently yeah. lost my mom, oh, and man, I don't even know how to even uh, talk about it because I just fall apart on stage. Yeah, and uh, it's you know I can't even imagine. So to watch Marin be able to get this incredible uh, special out of it and uh, be able to... I mean, that's the thing to comedy is being as real as you can. And right now, it just feels weird because I know people out in the audience know my mom passed and I'm not talking about it, but I can't talk about it yet. I saw you post on Instagram about it. It feels recent and I'm so sorry. That's terrible, man. I can't imagine what that's yeah. like. So, you know, I, I when we were watching Louis' special, I guess his mom passed away, maybe not super recently, but I think... You know, he kind of had some some lines in about it, and it's just one of those things. It's like there's like a real sincere time you got to just grieve before you can just start, yeah. you know, being insane about it. But I'm sure you know it's well. If you didn't like your mom, you could just start right away. Like, <laughs> right. She's fucking gone. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> like that night you're doing jokes, you oh, know? Oh my god, dude. I, yeah. Well, I think you're doing the right thing, given a second of a uh, you know oh yeah. of mourning. But I'm, I'm, I mean, I just can't even imagine like getting on stage and trying to make really painful personal experiences yeah. funny to people. I don't know how to do that, but I don't know how to go about it. You, you know? have siblings too? No, it's just me. Oh and my I, god! And I'm only child, and that's it. It was the oh last. My god. Um, my whole point is to see Mark uh, be able to deliver this set, and and I know it took him a long time because I was out on the road while he was working the material. You know, it didn't just come out the next day. Yeah. You know, so uh, yeah, man. Oh, we end on a weird set. Yeah, I like that. Let's get let's go to diabetes instead. So, the new record is called Asking for a Ride. It's out on record records. Shit. Wait, thanks which... for coming by though, guys. Yeah, man. Thanks for having us. Looking this was forward fun. to seeing you guys. And uh, what's that? You're there the same night. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm at the punchline Wednesday through Saturday this okay. week. Uh, six shows. So I'm going to try to do my set. I, I know I'm going to do my set and then fly over to your gig. Yeah. Because it's right around the corner. Well, Jerry Cantrell is also in town the same night on Wednesday. He is? Where's he playing? I don't know. But maybe that, you should go to that instead. If no, you go to that. no. Uh, Jerry's a good friend of mine. But okay. I really like to go hang with you guys. Yeah. At, and uh, I didn't even know Jerry was touring. I thought his tour no. was up. Wow. No, they're doing another, another leg. So. Wow. I see Jerry. I haven't seen him yet. I opened for Alice in Chains about five years ago. Holy shit! Yeah, it was it was fun. You are really the rock comedian, ain't you? I well, I only do it if I like the band. Yeah, I will not look. I loved Marcus. I love Alice in Chains. Are you kidding? I'm not going to turn that down. I love Metallica, but I don't think I'll ever do it again. You know, <laughs> you're not so. opening for us. You won't throw. <laughs> we probably ought to open for you. I got to drive honest. the Sprinter. Yeah, dude. <laughs> It ain't so bad. All right, guys, let's get out of here. Thanks yeah. for tuning in. Uh, White Reaper is the Instagram, right? White Reaper USA, baby. There you go. And Come listen uh, check to out us. the new videos. They're all on YouTube. They got a YouTube channel. Uh, buy the record, buy some tickets, see these guys. This record is fantastic. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel and uh, leave a review on iTunes.